Just as we remain standing, I will read the, the Word of God on which the sermon today is based. We've been moving through the Gospel of John, and let's look uh, with me now at John chapter 6. I'm going to read verse uh, 1 to 15 and then 27 to 35. It's a long passage, but I hope you can follow through with me. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they so for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and to take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the word of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, And what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. From the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The word of the Lord, please be seated. Friends, we have uh, finally finished John chapter 5, which was a long passage, and now we come to John chapter 6. where we see the fourth sign of the seven signs that John recorded in his gospel, the feeding of the 5,000 
people, which shows us that salvation satisfies the inner needs of the heart. And this is such an important miracle because this is the only miracle apart from the resurrection of Christ that is recorded in all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the only one. Now, why is that the case? Because this is such a public miracle. There were thousands upon thousands of people who witnessed that miracle, which shows us that what we just read was not a fiction, was not a fake news, but it was a historical event. The second thing why it's important is that it shows that Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses who was once used by God to bring down manna from heaven, the bread from heaven. And finally, it's so important because it sets the stage for the profound teaching, the profound discourse of the bread of life from verse 22 onwards. So we're going to look at this uh, long passage in about 30 minutes or so, uh, under these three subheadings, the need for the bread of life, the meaning of the bread of life, and the responses to the bread of life. So let's look at uh, the first one, the need for the bread of life. There we go. Now, we read uh, on first one, it started with that first, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so what, what we knew so far, Jesus had been trying to get away from the crowd to the other side of the lake, but then he found out that the crowd continued to follow him. And this crowd were not just in hundreds, but in thousands. There were 5,000. So we're going to look at a few numbers that, John accurately recorded. So how do you explain this big crowd? 5,000 men. Now, because it's only 5,000 men, that means uh, in, in the old days they counted the families. So it, this is actually 5,000 families, not counting women, not counting single people, not counting children. So there were at least 15,000 people there. So what explained this, this big crowd? Because if you look at uh, uh, verse 4, it says that the chapter, uh, uh, chapter 6 event, this feeding of the 5,000 or 15,000 people, took place shortly before the Passover. So if you go back to uh, chapter 5, verse 1, there was an unnamed feast at the time. So between chapter 5 and chapter 6, commentators said there is a time lapse of at least 6 to 12 months, right? If it, it was a Passover in five, uh, chapter 5, that means this is not a Passover. That means 12 months have elapsed between chapter 5 and chapter 6. And during that interval... Apostle John did not record what Jesus did. And Jesus continued ministering in Galilee. But you can read what Jesus did during that six or 12 months time in Galilee. According to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus did a lot of uh, different kinds of ministry. He 
preached on the Sermon on, on the Mount. He healed the Roman centurion's, uh, centurion's servant. He raised the widow's son. He calmed the storm. You can read all that. And that's why this crowd knew what Jesus could do, and they kept following Jesus. The spread of his fame over that 6-12 month uh, period helped explain that enormous size. And because it was already late and the crowd were a long way from home, Jesus essentially initiated that miracle. Let's feed them. He said to his disciples, how are we going to feed them? Not because he did not know, but because he wanted to test the disciples as well. So this is an object lesson for them as well. Now, if you, look, if you uh, read Mark 6.36, Looking at this crowd, the disciples actually came up with a solution. Basically, they said to Jesus, let's just send them away so that they can buy their own food because how are we going to feed 15,000 people? So let's, let's, let's send them away. But thankfully, Jesus was more concerned for needy people than his disciples. And often, Jesus is more concerned than all of us here, Christians, of, uh, for, of, for needy people than we are. The second thing that we saw, the second number that we saw in this uh, passage is the number 200, right? 200 uh, denarii. When Jesus asked his disciple, it was Philip, Philip, um, the disciple who answered the question, where are we to buy bread so that they uh, may eat? He's similar to uh, today's MBA graduate accountant who was very savvy with numbers, working out the problem so efficiently in his mind. And he said, Lord, eight months salary would not be enough to buy bread for even each one of them to have just a bite. Because... Uh, one day's wage is one denarii, so 200 denarii are about eight months uh, worth of salary at the time. But Philip was saying that even if we have that much money, they're only going to get a, a bite and they're not going to be filled. And if, even if we have much money, where are we going to find supermarkets that was open that day down the road to buy enough bread to hand uh, uh, over to these 15,000 hungry people. Look, it would have been great if Philip responded differently, if he said something along the line of, Lord, I've seen you turn water into wine. I've watched you kill the royal official's son from a distance. I saw you heal the man who was unable to walk for 38 years, and surely... You can provide bread from this hungry multitude like God provided manna in the wilderness. But Philip did not say that. The next number is five plus two. Because Andrew, Andrew, as you know, was uh, Peter's brother. And he always brought people to Jesus. He brought his brother Peter to Jesus, he brought this young lad, this little boy with uh, loaves of uh, bread and fish. 
So far, so good, right? But in verse 9, we read that he added, what are they for so many? What's the use of five loaves of bread and uh, two fish for 15,000 people? Now, we have to understand that this uh, statement of uh, Andrew actually emphasized inadequacy. The Greek term for this little boy means little boy. The, you know, these are basically his lunch, um, uh, lunchbox that he brought along with him. And these, these uh, loaves of bread, we always imagine loaves of bread like the one that we bought in a supermarket, which is huge, right? That's not the case at all. These are barley loaves. Now, barley loaves were small, flat uh, cakes about the size of a small pancake, so about, about this big. 10 centimeters in diameter. They were big and they were only enough for a little boy's lunch. So the barley uh, cake was the food for poor people. They were given to animals because they were made of the cheapest grain. And the two fish, you know, huge uh, barramundi fish, but these were sardines, pickled, dried, small fish. And after all, this is the small boy's lunch. So Andrew basically saying that, look, this is what we have, but surely this is nowhere near enough for these people. But we know that Jesus used people to meet the needs of people. And he prayed and he, he multiplied what this uh, young lad brought and fed the whole 15,000 people. And what we saw was amazing because Jesus did not only met their needs, but also supplied abundantly beyond what they need. So Apostle John drew a contrast between Philip, Andrew, and Jesus because Philip said, everyone will receive a little, just a bite, even if we have 200 denarii. And Andrew is saying, what are they for so many people? You know, they're not going to be of much use. But Jesus distributed to the people this bread and fish, and verse 11 noted, as much as they wanted. They filled their belly. They were so full. And, um, you know, this is obviously um, a reflection of what, Apostle Paul later wrote in the letter to the Philippians, and my God will supply all your needs. He can do far more abundantly beyond what we ask or think. Now we know that's in abundance because the leftovers were 12 baskets. And Jesus said, gather um, the fragments, the leftovers, 12 basketfuls, one per disciple. So Jesus did not only feed the 5,000 or 15,000, but he taught the 12 disciples and sent them home with doggy bag reminders that he filled the need abundantly. And what happened next, the crowd wanted to make him king in verse 14 because they thought if our political leader is Jesus and he could do miracles, you know, we would be 
so happy we didn't have to work, and he just multiplied the things that we need. So they wanted to make Jesus like a genie in a bottle who will grant their wishes, and making Jesus do their bidding. Oh, that's great, Jesus. I want to follow you if you help me with my career, with my study, and perhaps I'll be involved in a church ministry as long as you give me what I need. That's basically what this crowd had in mind. But the purpose of this miracle is so that the people understand that they do not just need physical bread, but they need the bread of life. That, that, that takes me to the second point. What's the meaning of the bread of life? The meaning of the bread of life. So the second section that we will see from verse 22 onwards actually took place the next day after the feeding of these 15,000 people when Jesus was now back to the populated area and everyone's talking about what he had done in the wilderness because they thought that Jesus was a second Moses. And then he explained who he was. I am the bread of life. Verse 35. Now what I want to, uh, you to pay attention to is this notion of life. The Greek word for life there is zoe, from which you know, the name zoe comes from. It's not the word that only means being in existence, but it's about through living. Zoe means eternal life filled with joy, meaning, and energy. It's the thing that makes life worth living. It's a thriving life. It was the life that we all had before the fall, before man fell into sin. And after the fall in Genesis 3, we lost Zoe. But Jesus now came to the world to give that Zoe, to give that eternal life filled with joy and meaning and thriving. See, this is not just eternal existence, but this is eternal life. And the, the two are completely different because if it's only eternal existence, hell is also eternal existence. But this is eternal life. And Jesus is saying that you're not going to have Zoe unless you have me because I am the bread of life. And we know that in this life, merely being in existence is not enough. We want a meaningful existence. We want a joyful existence. That's why we have movies like Moana, Frozen, and Barbie, and all these movies in the, uh, uh, produced in the Hollywood, they always feature the hero or the heroine in the story wanting to find some meaning of their life. That's Zoe, and we have, all of us, have to find our Zoe so that we can say, I do have a true life. And there are many false Zoe's in our lives. We're trying to get out from false Zoe's what only Jesus can give us. If you work to be the greatest service to others, those of you who are working 
as professionals, those of you who run your own business, if you work every single day to be of greater service to others as an outworking of your love for Jesus, then you will have a meaningful work. No matter what industry you're in, no matter what field you're in, but if you work every day to prove yourself, if you work to secure your identity, if you work to validate your sense of self-worth, you will be depleted, you will be depressed, and you'll be a shallow person. You'll be working harder and longer to achieve that level of success until you burn out. Every false Zoe does that. Friends, we have a true and deeper hunger than just physical hunger. And we often feed that true hunger with stuff, with food, with success, with entertainment, with social media, with drugs, with pornography. Bruce Marshall in The World, The Flesh, and The Father Smith in his book wrote this statement. The young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. See, we try to fill our hunger that we have deep down in our souls with things that we see in the world, in all the wrong places. But that false Zoe will disappoint you. And until you transfer your trust to Jesus, you will continue to be disappointed. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, remember, bread of life is a staple diet. The fundamental of life in that part of culture. So I imagine if Jesus lived in Asia, he would have said, I am the rice of life, or I am the noodle of life. <laughs> because everyone, it's rice. Do you know that over 3.5 billion people around the world eat rice as their staple diet. If Jesus lived in Italy at the time, he would have said, I'm the pasta of life. You know, you need to have pasta, right, for your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Essentially, he's saying that he is the fundamental of life. He's the life that gives you that joy, that meaning, that thriving that you always want. You cannot have that Zoe, you cannot have that eternal life filled with joy without Jesus. And friends, this bread of life is a person. For the bread of God, verse 33, is He. See, the bread of life is He, is a person who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus did not only give us the bread of life, but he is the bread of life. This is one of the seven I am statements. You know, God introduced himself in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3, his name to the Israelites. He said, I am that I am. And now Jesus used the exact identical name to himself because he claimed that he is equal to God. So there, there are seven I am statements in the whole gospel. And this is the first one. I am the bread of life. He will later say, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and so on. But now 
see the first one, I am the bread of life. Because he wants us to come to him, to believe in him, and to feed on him, to have a personal relationship with him. Friends, what's unique about Christianity among other religions is its insistence on personal relationship with Jesus. You know, in the word Christianity, the key word is Christ. You cannot ha have Christ, you cannot have Christianity without Christ. Other religions always think their God as distant, impersonal, and terrifying. But in Jesus, we have a God who became flesh. In Jesus, we knew that that God loved, loved his friends at a wedding in Cana. We knew that Jesus cried with his friends at the death know that Jesus got angry when his father's house was misused for profit scheme. And Jesus prayed in distress when he was about to go to the cross, and he screamed in agony when he was on that cross. And this Jesus was so personal because in him we know that God is personal, and he wants to make a personal relationship with you. And the bread of heaven is not just a person, but he is a broken person. Look again in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, if that, if that bread of life is not broken, it's not going to help you a bit. See, friends, what you, what you have with with uh, uh, if you have a loaf of bread at home, right, you can weigh the bread, you can look at the bread, you can smell it, you can lick it, but unless you actually break it and chew it with your teeth, it will not feed you, it will not nourish you. So if Jesus is just a great moral teacher to you, if Jesus is just a great example to you, He will not nourish you, He will not change you. Because if he's only a model teacher, the more you follow him, his standards will condemn you because you will never, ever be like Jesus. It's just too hard. It, teacher, But he said, I am the bread of life. And in verse 51 in particular, he said this, the bread of, that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What he meant was he took the punishment that you and I deserve to receive on the cross. By his stripes, you are healed. He was crushed like the bread so that you can made, be made whole. If you come to God merely with admission of limitation or plea for help, you actually trivialize what Jesus had done on the cross for you. So don't just come to church like this, like a you know, church service, and then say, Lord, I am weak, give me strength. Don't just pray, Lord, I'm anxious, give me peace. Because the gospel comes to you and says, you're not only weak, you're not only limited, you are a great sinner with deceitful hearts, unclean lips, and corrupt minds. 
You know, the false teachers will always say to you, you can if you think you can because you're a great star. But the gospel tells you, you can't even do that even if you think you can because you are a great sinner. What do you have to pray instead? Lord Jesus, I'm a great sinner and should have been broken. But you were broken in my place so that I can be made whole again. And only then, only then Jesus becomes your soul, your true life, your joy, your purpose. And the final point, just quickly, the responses to the bread of life. Now, friends, these are all the responses that you saw in John chapter 6. People were responding to him in different ways. They were curious because they followed Jesus because they kept seeing the signs that he continually did, healing the sick. They were opportunistic. They wanted to make, to make Jesus king. They were skeptical because they asked for yet another sign to believe Jesus. They were self-serving. They said, give us this bread always so that we don't have to work anymore. They were complaining. They grumbled about Jesus when he said, eat my flesh. So they were curious, opportunities, uh, skeptical, self-serving, and complaining. See, when, when, if you share in your social media, Jesus is the bread of life. You know what Twitter or X now is called? Responses would be, People would say something like, oh, if Jesus is the bread of life, is he gluten-free? Does this mean that he can also be toasted? Can he be fed to the ducks? Those are the kind of responses that people have to the very Savior who came to the world and gave his life for many, the true Zoe. But how do you actually receive Jesus. Well, verse 29, I can get to the next slide, please. It says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. See, if you want to receive the bread of heaven, you cannot work to receive it. You cannot get it with your efforts. You just have to receive it. The only work that will earn the bread of heaven is basically admitting that you cannot do any work to earn that bread of heaven. So the only work is to realize you cannot work for it. You just have to receive it. You have to believe in Him. You have to feed on Him. You have to have faith in Him. So those of you who are yet to believe in Christ in this room, how would you respond? Jesus is saying, don't just look at the miracles. Look at me. I am the miracle. I am the bread of life that you are looking for. What is the proof that Christianity is true? Jesus is saying, it's me. It's not just miracles. A pastor once said, if only someone would give me a watertight argument to support that Jesus is God. But you know what? Jesus did not give watertight arguments. He gave himself as a watertight person. Look at me. Look at what I've done for you. The bread here is a great picture of the gospel. 
I am God make, made breakable for you. I was broken for you on the cross. I feed you and you cannot eat this bread and forget. And you cannot eat this bread and just walk away. And you cannot eat this bread and go on with your life as usual. Because this bread of life, once you have received it, it will completely transform your life. For those of you who are Christians for years and years in this room, not only this miracle foreshadows Christ's brokenness on the cross, but it also speaks to you of the brokenness that you will experience if you, if you are to be used by God. And maybe you are experiencing brokenness in your life at the moment. You know, broken hopes, broken promises, broken health. And yes, there are things that can be lost. They're no longer useful when they are broken. If you have broken plates, then you cannot use those plates anymore. But there are two things that become more useful when they are broken. Broken bread and broken lives. If you come to Christ with your brokenness, He can make you whole again and be used for His glory. Let us now respond in prayer. Lord, we may not know each other well in this very room, but you know us through and through, and some of us here in this room may feel a nudge, a stirring to respond to you, to stop trusting in ourselves, to find meaning and joy in all the wrong places, and start trusting in you for the first time or for the end time. Thank you, Jesus, that you became our bread of life. And this morning we come to you, bringing our hunger and thirst for you, O Lord, and satisfy us fully in your everlasting grace. In your name we pray. Amen. As we hear a musical instrument being played,